Chapter One of Murder Takes the Veil. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Therese. Murder Takes the Veil by Margaret Ann Hubbard. Chapter One The door of Mother Theodore's parlor opened slowly. For the past twenty minutes, Mother had been sitting absolutely still in her great, uncomfortable, carved chair, watching that door. By neither nature nor training was Mother Theodore given to premonitions. Hunches, feelings in the bones, warnings by black crows, prophecies of death from the dank smell that often permeated the swamp, these were to be heeded only by the unknowing outside the convent walls. Mother knew better. It was excitement alone that had sent a strange tingle along her spine, minutes ago, when she had heard the whistle of the 415 pulling into Marysville, across the bayou. Coincidence, also, that a crow had flapped, calling above the cypresses, almost on the heels of the whistle, and nothing but imagination that scented the breeze with the odor of tombs as it moved through the open window. But Mother's hand had gone out involuntarily to swing shut the casement, and now the door was opening. Mother Theodore rose, her eyes upon the dark wedge of hall twilight, expanding inch by inch. It's not too late yet, she thought. I could refuse to see them. I could say I changed my mind, that the College of St. Aurelian had prospered for nearly two centuries without lay instructors, and so it could go on. But that, of course, was the whole problem. Evidently it could not go on so well without some concession. For this year the enrollment was ten less than last, and so they were importing a writer, an artist, and an athletic instructor all high in their fields. The very thought set Mother's brain to whirling in unorthodox panic, and she wiped her right palm surreptitiously against her habit. She must shake hands with dignity and enough welcome to fit the occasion, and trust that the gentleman would not notice the unaccustomed clamminess of her hand. She had managed well yesterday, she believed, but there had been only one of the great Torvaldsen, the artists. Now there would be two to greet. The door had now opened wide, and out of the corridor gloom Sister Osmond emerged, a large woman whom the amplitude of the habit made enormous. No one had ever been heard to remark that it was a pity Sister Osmond was so big, for her size was not only a fine attribute in a portress, but a trait of personal dignity. Very erect, unhurried, she met all visitors at the door with her gracious smile, and listened tranquilly to their requests. Those who were admitted felt that they had passed a test but those who were turned away, with the same gracious smile, usually masculine colors, with designs upon the girls, or the convent purse, never entertained the slightest rancor toward Sister Osmond. They simply had not measured up. That they might have gained entrance through several other unguarded ways never occurred to them. Inside the door Sister stepped aside, inclined her head respectfully to Mother, slipped her hands up her sleeves, and turned a penetrating glance upon the two guests. The tall, dark young man stood gracefully at ease. The older looked across at Mother with an attentive smile. Unlike as the visitors were, they shared one reaction. Neither was overawed by the decorum of the proceedings. "'Mother Theodore,' said Sister Osmond, and having paused for Mother's permission, she indicated the guest who took precedence by age. "'Mr. Crispin Archer.' The gentleman's head tilted in the conscious manner of people who have been often before crowds and consider without being aware of it the angle and effect of every mannerism. In Mr. Archer this learned poise appeared to be arrogance. 
and yet, as he advanced with a slow swinging gait, Mother Theodore realized also that it might be a compensation. For Crispin Archer was very oddly built. He was all wide, his head wide from ear to ear, his forehead broad under a broadly curving hairline, his eyes wide apart, his shoulders muscular as a boxer's, the hand he extended to Mother short and thick. Still, he was handsome. His hair, becomingly tousled, was of the tawny blonde that photographs dark, and his eyes and complexion matched so perfectly that anyone seeing his picture would judge him to be swarthy brown. In the photographs which had accompanied the reviews of Feathers of the Pin, and upon the back jacket of the book itself, Mr. Archer was pictured sitting down. He was not proud of his short legs, even though their shortness was only in comparison to his general width. Standing before Mother Theodore, he could meet her gaze levelly, and Mother was of more than medium height for a woman. "'Mr. Archer,' she murmured, and at the same moment Mr. Archer murmured something polite. His back was to the guardian sister, and his companion guest, still in the doorway. And suddenly Crispin Archer flashed toward Mother a most extraordinary smile. It stood around the strict impersonality of their meeting, and became a recognition of the man for the woman, a bridge of humanness over the chasm beyond which all women retreat when they enter a convent, and which few look back across. Mother Theodore gasped, but only mentally. Aloud she made no sound. In that instant Archer's eyes fell decorously, the smile retreated. He pressed her hand and stepped back, his manner all that one could ask, plus a nice touch of humility. Mother turned her head slowly from him, and Sister Osmond took her cue. Mr. Franz Eric, Mother Theodore, the portress announced, and then, having completed her duty, she glided out into the wedge of twilight and closed Mother in with St. Aurelian's immediate future. Franz Eric smiled also as he shook hands, but it was with the familiar deference of having said, Yes, sir, and no, sir, through eight years of grade school. He was young, half the age of Mr. Archer, dark and slim and olive-skinned. Mother noted his dashing good looks, and the pixie way he had of catching his lower lip between his white teeth when he smiled, and the graceful nonchalance, which had no doubt contributed to his fame as a fencing-master in New Orleans, and the indolent charm which had made possible the evolution of Franz Eric from the grubby little larva, which was Frank Erickson of the downtown Poydross Street Ericksons of New Orleans, who had lived six to a room. The list of his qualities added up to far more than the simple fact that Franz was just Frank, with his face washed. To Mother Theodore, already shaken by Crispin Archer, he loomed as a promise of disaster, eighty-two separate disasters, according to the enrollment of St. Aurelian's, for Franz undeniably had magnetism, and in his lowly beginning, perhaps, lay the compulsion to raise himself high, to prove that the accidental poverty of his birth meant little. Standing there, looking him over with every appearance of calmness, Mother was appalled at what she had done. The great Trevaldson, nearly sixty, and with a couple of grown daughters, who no doubt had conditioned him through the years, would have been quite enough to modernize the curriculum. Admiring him respectfully, the eighty-two college girls would have continued about their business of submitting to education, but now, in their mists, Mother was about to inject two gentlemen of highly individual personality. That both had come well recommended was a small consequence, where the basic urges were concerned. And that she had happened to fall upon two bachelors and a widower seemed indeed like a grim joke of providence. "'Gentlemen, you will forgive me,' Mother broke in upon her own confused reverie. 
Please be seated. You had not too uncomfortable a journey, I trust. The connections were not bad. Gravely they seated themselves, the guests of necessity facing the light, because Mother had lowered herself once again into the carved chair. But she did not relax. While Crispin Archer tactfully suppressed his opinion of the bayou country, and Franz lied like a gentleman about the drudgery of the trip from New Orleans, Mother Theodore politely failed to listen. Firmness, she decided, that must be her course, a clear, straight statement of their position and hers. She could not back away from this situation, which, after all, was of her own inviting. There would be no sentimental yearning, even in the privacy of her own cell, for the dear old days when St. Aurelian's was a self-contained little world from whose portals Sister Osmond could fend off every enemy. Mother Theodore turned to Mr. Archer. "'I do not intend to dissemble before you gentlemen,' she said bluntly, and then wondered if she should soften her manner. Archer's smile was one of surprise, and out of the corner of her eye she saw Franz come to attention. "'You will be living inside the convent grounds, you see, and it will be quite intolerable for all of us, including yourselves.' if we were to become two intimate objects of one another's concern. I hesitated long over taking this step. We must compete, in a manner, with other colleges. In addition to religion, modern parents want also what they term advantages for their daughters. And we are the advantages, Mr. Archer remarked. Mother continued as if she had not heard the flippancy. Sharing as you must in much of our routine, you will come to know a great deal about us, and it was that thought which made me uneasy. A writer must sketch from life, naturally, in the same spirit as a painter. Both can do it cruelly, or with human understanding. You have a reputation for keenness, Mr. Archer, and I do not expect your months with us to be a hiatus in your creative life. I do, however, expect discretion, and I ask that you write nothing specific concerning St. Aurelian's. Mother's eyes came to Franz Eric. Our girls range in age from seventeen to twenty-one, the most impressionable time of their lives. Many of them have attended sister schools, always, through grade and high school, and it is going to be a thrilling innovation for them to sit at the feet of a masculine instructor. You may find that a few of them troublesome, but you may limit your contacts to as little as you like outside of classes. Franz coughed, and Crispin nodded gravely. Each of you will be given an office. Mother Theodore went on, with her usual competence. I understand you are a musician as well as a writer, Mr. Archer, so we have arranged a studio for you in the music department. For you, Mr. Eric, there is a small office in the gymnasium wing. The bookstore, where the girls buy their school supplies, is also in that wing, she added. And in the bookstore, as Mr. Eric would soon find out, old Sister Aloysius would be forever puttering about. Yes, Mother. Franz murmured with great docility. Since your time is entirely ours, Mr. Eric, we have already arranged your schedule. Mr. Archer's is not yet settled. The new books, you see, take precedence over our own small needs. And shrinks my salary, Crispin thought, but aloud he said, You are considerate, mother. However, I write like a maniac at any hour of the day or night, or not at all. I'm not a consistent producer. Some of the reviewers, bless their black hearts, have expressed the notion that I'm not a creative writer at all, but only a photographic recorder, who happens to be a pretty slick craftsman. Which leads me to wonder, mother, why I was honored by selection for St. Aurelian's. 
Mother Theodore's eyes fell in the shadow of her cough. Here was the man who had been revealed in Feathers of the Pen, the detached observer who sat back looking at the world with a philosophic eye and setting down his record of it. The eye was now being applied to himself. Mother smiled at the toe of Mr. Archer's bronze polished shoe. Fame is its own recommendation, sir. Ah, then who shall say it is worthless? Tolerantly amused at this thing called success, that was his pose. And so, thought Mother, upon that plane I shall meet him. I doubt if one person can teach another to be a writer, Mr. Archer. Our personal gifts come from the hand of Providence. But you have already arrived in the literary world, and your knowledge of the practical side will constitute your main value to your students. Mother's tone was very near to a reprimand, and Mr. Archer murmured something by way of apology. Franz Eric shifted in his chair. The nun regarded him with gratitude. Without her attention appearing to wander, her mind cast back over the excellent recommendations which had preceded Mr. Archer. In numbers and enthusiasm, his rooting section equaled that of the great Tolvudson. Of the three, Franz had been the one to have merely adequate backing, yet that fact appealed strongly to Mother Theodore now. With two geniuses on her hands, how comforting it was to know that the third member was normal enough to furnish a balance. Still, young Eric's eyes met her with a strangely shrewd speculation, as he asked with surprising seriousness, If Mr. Archer's fame and experience constituted his recommendation, Mother, then exactly what prompted your selection of me? We wish to give all our young ladies equal opportunity for something of added interest, Mother replied, hoping she did not sound as if she were mentally giving him a nice pat on the head. Some will not take either to writing or painting, and for these we offer, ah. Uh, Mr. Eric, Crispin suggested in that facile way he had of finishing a statement. But Franz could not be led away from his question. With an eagerness approaching anxiety, he insisted, and was that why you chose me, mother, to temper the weight of culture? He was determined upon an answer, and like a flood tumbling into a spillway, mother's premonitions rushed back. Where now was the balance of personalities that had soothed her a moment ago? And yet Franz had asked a perfectly legitimate question. Why had she engaged him to complete her triumvirate of the famous, when his fame was actually only a sort of harmless local notoriety? Mother Theodore arose, and the two stood with her. Being upon her feet gave her confidence. Carlyle once wrote that fame is no short test of merit, but only a probability of such. It is an accident, not a property of man. If the accident has been slow in happening to you, Mr. Eric, it is no reflection whatsoever upon your merit. Your contribution to St. Aurelian's should be quite valuable in itself. Franz was listening intently, as if he tried to clothe every word with far more than its meaning, and the thought struck Mother Theodore that this young gentleman was a good deal older than he admitted. Around his eyes were tiny lined proofs of it, proof again in the rather hard maturity of his mouth, before the pixie smile took over. Mr. Archer laughed. Forgive me, mother, but your modernity amazes me. There is nothing archaic about you except your habit. The peasant dress of the Middle Ages, isn't it? Mother Theodore folded her hands under the brown scapular, which was the peasant's apron of the Middle Ages, as Mr. Archer had assumed. There is no reason in the world why he should not know such a fact. The ancient dress was the historic mark of many an order, varying but slightly in color and in the design of the headdress. Yet this common knowledge became, with Crispin Archer's statement, a personal revelation, 
as if he knew too much about her. Like what kind of toothpaste she used, and Mother Theodore knew how to deal with him. If you are with us long, sir, she said with faint emphasis on the if, you will find that withdrawal from the world is one's best assurance of understanding it. Our convent walls are barriers, not obstacles. Crispin bowed, and Franz choked. You have a troublesome cough, Mr. Eric, Mother observed. I'll see that you are served an eggnog with cream every morning. Very strengthening. She walked to the door. Franz was ahead of her to open it. I hope your stay with us will be happy, gentlemen. Sister Osmond will show you to the guest house. Mr. Tolvidson is already there. I think you will not find it crowded, even for the three of you. The great Tolvidson, Crispin exclaimed. I've heard of him ever since I was a kid. Tell me, mother, is he as great as his reputation? Mother met his glance coolly. Trevoltson has painted his masterpiece, one true picture, sir, and that assigns him a place within immortals. One faultless contribution is enough for one man. But if he had never had painted, he could still be a great man. Mr. Archer, and God makes too few of those. Good afternoon, sir. Mr. Eric. Their exit was as ceremonious as their entrance, a fading into the gloom which had admitted them. When they were gone, Mother did not return to her chair. She went instead to the window and opened it wide. Down on the green lawn under the magnolias and live oaks, groups of girls strolled or sat with their books open in their laps. Beyond the convent gates, the road swung on to Marysville, a mile away, and between convent and village, the, ba the bayous looped into currentless, brown stagnation, hidden by cypresses and tupelos. Back behind the convent, the usual farm life was going on. Within, it was the quietest hour of the day, the sisters at prayers, the girls happily disposed according to necessity or temperament. Why was I not satisfied with this as it was, Mother Theodore thought, and her automatic use of the past tense slapped at her sense of security. From the beginning, from that moment last July, when she had held in her hand the letter from their famous poetess graduate, and known she was about to pay them a visit, Mother had been uneasy. Marguerite Rantonga had always known too well what she wanted, and she had known immediately upon arrival what St. Aurelian's wanted. Opportunity. Never had opportunity knocked unheeded at Miss Rantonga's door. Writing under the name of Anacreon, the Greek lyric poet, she made for herself an exclusive niche that almost everyone envied. To her salons in New York had come Archer and Tovaltson, along with a hundred others, and Marguerite had nipped them out and set their abilities before Mother. Then she talked to the patrons, who already had contributed heavily to the support of the school, and each had telephoned Mother and come to tea. The result, in the light of the decreasing enrollment, was inevitable. But it was my own decision, Mother reminded herself fairly. Not a single patron had done more than to suggest that she looked into the fitness of the writer and the artist whom Miss Rontanga recommended, or allow a certain New Orleans connection to interview Mr. Eric. And so word had come to Mother through the poetess that all three would be willing. There had been no pressure whatever, except the trend so much emphasized by Marguerite. But perhaps nothing was changed after all. The new would very probably sift into the old, and soon the artist, the fencing master, and the writer would be no more a source of disturbance than any other of the very human frailties gathered together within St. Aurelian's. Mother Theodore turned swiftly from the window. She was hungry in soul and body, 
and the sooner both hungers were satisfied, the sooner would she return to her usual placid normality. Leaving the parlor, she hurried through the clean, dark halls and out the beautiful arched cloister walk to the chapel. End of chapter 1